Hi, this is Apostle William Kevin Britt. I'm the Apostle and Pastor for First Century Christ Church International, and you're listening to the podcast for First Century Christ Church International Divinity College. That's a free divinity college. The only thing you pay for is the books that you might have to buy in order to participate in the program, which are really a nominal fee. And we believe in spreading the gospel. We receive freely. We give freely. You will hear some sponsor segments. Please uh, listen to the sponsor segments because the sponsors are what help us to continue to offer these free programs. What you're listening to in this episode will be lesson one. Lesson one is the first of 52 lessons covering the Bible in a year. That's equivalent to our Institute program. If you're interested in more information, you can connect with me at facebook.com slash apostle. On there, you'll also see on the side some links to our YouTube page or Instagram page and a few other ways to connect with us. If you're interested in the school, all you have to do is inbox me on my Facebook page and we'll then make a call to you, reach out to you and connect with you and help you to get connected with the school. We hope you enjoy lesson one and may you continue to be blessed in the Lord. Hi, this is Apostle William Kevin Britt. You're listening to our Through the Bible in the Year program, which is an institute-level program which runs through our Divinity College. Again, this is a podcasted version of a video program. If you're interested in the school, you can always contact me at facebook.com slash apostle. If you're interested in the video versions of these podcasts, you can also go to my page and you can connect to the YouTube channel and then you can access the school through there. We hope you enjoy the service and we hope that everything is moving well with you and the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, saints. This is Apostle Kevin Britt from First Century Christ Church International. This is Divinity College. We have here Ernest, who's also co-moderating with us. And we also have here, blessing us from Philadelphia, the pastors of the Church of Philadelphia. So we just want to welcome everybody here. Um, we're going to allow the pastors to open us up in prayer and before we get started. So if the pastors could take us home, announce yourself too, and, and give a little background as well. Um, I'm Pastor A.K. from the Church Philly. <clears throat> um, only background I really got is that uh, the Lord found something in me that he wants to use through me. And I'm just being obedient and walking into my calling. Yes, yes. My name is Pastor C. I'm also the pastor and co-pastor with my, my husband right here <laughs> of the Church Philly. Um, and, and my background is pretty much the same, you know, just God chose to, you know, glorify himself through me. And so I'm so excited to just be used by him. And so we have a church in Philly. That's why it's called the Church Philly. The church Philly. And we are a new church plant going on a year. And we are so excited to just be used by the Lord, man. This, this, is, this is about to get real. We're excited to be on this platform with the <laughs> apostle to get this studying and this learning in. So yeah. hopefully he don't embarrass us too much. He'll be asking us what's all the books of the Bible up in here. I don't know, man. Have us know. looking crazy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Well, we're excited. We're excited to be a part of this. And we want to thank our brother Ernest Indeed. for for loving us enough to even put this in our purview. We're going to start off with prayer. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to first give you all the praise, honor, and glory, Lord God. Giving you praise, Father God, for who you are. Giving you praise, Father God, the love that you have for your children, Lord God. So, Lord, as we open up, God, this session, Lord God, as we open up this teaching, Lord God, that is from you, Lord God. 
we just ask that you just anoint this whole call. We ask that you just anoint this whole classroom right now, Father God, and just fill it with your Holy Spirit, Lord yes, God. Lord Jesus. Lord, we give you praise, Lord God. And we ask that you forgive us of our sins, Lord God. Yes, Lord and we Jesus. ask God that just we just fall to your feet right now, God, and allowing you to fill us up, Lord God. Yes, Lord we Jesus. ask that we just put everything out to your feet, Lord God, trusting and believing, Lord, that everything you put back in us, Father God, will not only benefit us, Lord God, but it will just give you and only you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, we pray and praise. Amen. Lord Jesus, we come to your feet, Lord God, not only honoring the apostle, Lord God, but yes, honoring Lord. his wife, Lord God, honoring yes, his helpmate, Lord God, and honoring him as they continue in ministry yes, and they continue Lord. to spread the gospel and teach your saints, Lord God, for the equipping of the saints, Lord God. Yes, Lord God, we just want to thank you for your glory, Lord God, that your glory will be shown through this, Lord God. Yes, we Lord. ask that all ego, Lord God, any pride, Lord God, that will keep us from understanding, learning the word, we ask that it is dismissed right now in the name of Amen. Jesus, yes. Lord God. We ask that offense has no power, Lord God, yes. that there is no grievances that happen, Lord God, that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit, Lord God, but that we move fully and operating, being led by him, yes. knowing that he is the one who gathers the churches and administers the roles, Lord God, knowing that it is him that guides us in the way in which we should speak when we come amongst the people, Lord God. So we just thank you for your thank Holy you, Spirit God. that was given through us through Jesus Christ. And yes. we ask that this, this live, Lord God, this teaching honors you, Lord God, as we sit at your feet as children, learning from those who you have called to teach. Yes. Lord God, we just want to thank Thank you, Lord God. We give honor to the house of God that is putting on this teaching. We give honor to your people, and we ask that you cover them greatly, Lord God, with your love, your grace, and your mercy, Lord God. And we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Any demonic attacks that try to happen, Lord God, we rebuke them right now in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And so I'm going to just um, ask Ernest also to just announce himself and to give, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, comfort for the saints as to his role in the ministry. Praise God. My name is Ernest Jones. Currently reside in uh, Maryland. Let's just say that the DMV area. In my lifetime, I have given five sermons. I repeat, five sermons. Uh, <laughs> Three of them were, in my opinion, really good. Two of them were subpar. Um, but no, I've been working, I've been walking alongside uh, Apostle uh, Kevin for about uh, seven years now. We've been doing ministry. Just recently, we actually linked up to do long-term ministry, which I'm excited about. Um, anxious to get started and um, help bring you guys the Bible uh, in a year and help get you guys on the right track. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, uh, I do sometimes appear to have some technical difficulties, which is why it's good that Ernest is here to jump in. Um, uh, you guys, I, I trust can still hear me, yes? Yes. 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 The, video, the video will come back in a moment. I'm sorry for the uh, inconvenient saints. All right, so this is First Century Christ Church Divinity College. For those of you who want to go through the Bible in a year, uh, this first year portion is the uh, Through the Bible in a Year Institute portion. We decided that we would try to help saints to hit milestones over a period of time. Making a four-year commitment to school is a great deal. And if for some reason you had to stop or start, we wanted to make sure that you had good, discrete milestones so that you could, you could show something for your accomplishment. So this is the first year. This is the institute level. It's going to be through the Bible in the year. 
For those of you who are students in the college actively now, if you are watching us from the Facebook, just put in the comments that you're here. I noticed that Theus Britt is here. We put amen, amen, welcome. That happens to be my biological son as well as my spiritual son. Praise God. Uh, my wife was having some difficulty joining the B Live, so she's going to so sort of be our moderator on the Facebook Live, looking at the comments and probably cueing me because when I miss comments, she's the one that kind of pulls me back in the reins and says, hey, honey, you missed this. So. Uh, Go ahead, girl. <laughs> so she's going to be on the Facebook Live watching what's going on. For those of you who are just now viewing it or those of you who watch the video, just realize that we really just got started. So if you want to join, you can join. Welcome, Mary. Mary is from, if I got it right, she's from Nigeria, living right now in... Uh, where are you now? Brazil. I think she's a she's Nigerian wow. doing evangelism in Brazil, and she's on the line with us today. Um, so anybody who wants to join us, you haven't missed anything yet. We do two sessions a week for the same class. So if you miss one, you can see the other. And like I said, we're not robots. So you're going to hear something new in the second session that you didn't hear in the first session, but you'll at least get both. Uh, she said Kenya, not Nigeria. I said it wrong. So she's from Kenya. Living in Brazil. Yes, Mary? In Brazil, I believe you're living. So she'll put a text there and she'll let us know, yes, she's in Brazil doing evangelism. So we praise God as we truly are functioning and operating internationally. We're using this technology for the glory of God. I believe if Apostle Paul was here, he'd have the pen and the parchment and he'd have the Facebook and the Twitch and he'd have <laughs> the gospel be preached. So we have nothing against the technology. Um, again, like yeah. I said, I do have periodic glitches in my video. Um, Ernest is well-versed as well on the material. So if necessary, he'll pick up and take over. Uh, in addition to the fact that he'll be sharing regardless of whether my video is working or not. Um, so we are actually in week one. And in week one, we gave, we're giving you guys a couple of weeks to get your books. But I already got mine. So I just want you to know one of the books you need to have and my, my, my video is really trying to give me a hard time today, but we're going to defeat the enemy here on this. And one of the books we need to have is called Training for Service, the student workbook for training for service. It's going to be the means by which we learn covenant theology. So uh, most of us are involved in a Western European founded church. So covenant theology, we should be somewhat familiar with. It's called Training for Service. Okay. And I see that the video of the book appeared as well. So that book you'll need. The ISBN number is in an email that I sent you. If you're new and you're interested, um, all you have to do is put a comment on how we can comment. To, actually, no, I'm going to put in the comment the ISBN number. So you'll get the ISBN number there as well. Um, my computer has a software that tries to fix driver problems. So it's actually actively trying to fix this driver problem, which is affecting my video. So hopefully it'll succeed. The second book that you're going to need for this semester is Through the Bible in a Year, 52 Lessons um, Designed to Teach You the Bible in a Year. Okay, so we're using those two things. One of the special things about Divinity School is we also are going to teach you Messianic Christianity. Um, we are a firm believer that Christianity is really the maturation of Judaism. In the first century, Christianity was actually considered a rabbinical sect of Yeshua, mm -hmm. a.k.a. Christian 
Christ-like one. They mm -hmm. saw those who were not Christians saw Jesus as a rabbi or a Pharisee who had a following and that his crazy followers were following this dead man. But these Christ-like ones, these Christians are trying to be like they're following this rabbi. And even the Gentiles who became Christians used to fellowship in the synagogue in Antioch amongst other Jews. And they were perceived as converts to Judaism as a member of the sect of the rabbinical sect of Yeshua. Now we know, right? We rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Our rabbi is not dead. Our yeah. rabbi is more than a rabbi, okay? Yeah. And you're gonna go in on all of that. But it's important for us to understand Messianic Judaism because there's roots in Messianic Judaism that edify our soul. Having said that, we also are including, and don't worry, I see it. <laughs> we're also including the Torah portions. So a lot of you don't know this, but inside the synagogue, they actually read segments of the five books of Moses throughout the course of the year. We are following that as well. So over it's a quad semester system. As a quad semester system, you are um, learning in four different semesters, but each semester there's gonna be a Torah portion reading. So again, all of this I have for you, and um, the books that you need to order, you can order, and this I'll send for you as a PDF. So I'll either be giving you the ISBN for the books you need to order. You'll need that in the third week. We're still in the first week, so you've got two weeks to get them. They're relatively inexpensive. I bought them used, and I think I paid $15 for both of them used. Um, they, they might be a little bit more new. Okay, so the Torah portions, um, the Torah portion segment will come to you uh, via way of pdf so if you are not a there goes my wife see she's on the move um and and pastor if you could just please go ahead and put the isbns i'm, I'm talking to my wife we have several pastors on the line here um but if you could put the isbns in there as well so that they know specifically what book it is that they're actually ordering Okay, so you'll come in contact with Messianic, Juda uh, Messianic Judaism. You'll also learn the Bible in the course of one year, and you'll also um, learn different terms and terminologies and covenant theology pieces as well. Okay, um, so let's just get started. If you were already connected with us, you received a email outlining sections of the Bible that we're covering. The primary focus today will be Genesis 1, chapter 1 through chapter 6, verse 8. That'll be our primary focus today. Now, if you, if you again, have already received your Torah portions, you'll also see a section that says Haftarah. The Haftarah is sections of the books of history or the books of prophecy relevant to the Torah portion. So the Torah is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? And then the Haftarah would be either one of the prophetic books or one of the historical books, and it would refer to something related to that specific Torah portion. Okay, and then of course the gospel was added by an organization we're affiliated with called First Fruits of Zion. They have something called Torah Club where they teach Christians about how the Torah relates to Christ. And so they 
inserted in the Torah portions, the gospel, so that you're understanding me. Right now in the synagogues, you are following the same Bible scriptures that they are following. They're reading these very scriptures in the synagogue on Sabbath, okay? So the gospel section for this week is John chapter 1, verse 1 through 17, and the Torah portion is Genesis 1, 1 through 6, 8. If you're sharp and you see that the Haftarah portion is 1 Samuel 20, 18 through 42, which is not related to the Genesis scriptures, but it is related to the fact that it is the eve of a new moon. So whenever the Torah portion date falls on the eve of a new moon celebration, then they include 1 Samuel 20, 18 through 42. If a lot of what I'm saying sounds foreign to you, don't worry. Repetition is mastery. As we go through weeks and weeks of this, quickly you'll pick it up and then you'll be totally understanding every point of it. Some of it takes time to, to grasp. The other thing that you might want to get yourself your hands on, it's up to you, it is totally optional, is a Hebrew calendar. I'll explain to you quickly why you might want to get yourself a Hebrew calendar. As you know, the Jews were told to start the year in a different month than the rest of the world. And as you not, might already know, they also were told to um, uh, count, they count their years differently. So we're in 2020. They are currently in 5781. And uh, our new year is January 1st, but their new year um, actually occurred on... Uh, The 19th of September, Rosh Hashanah, is the beginning of their new year. You say, well, why is that significant? Why would that be significant? Well, as we study about the different things that Gentile Christianity did, and we'll study that even more in the second year when we study church history, you're going to find that Jesus probably wasn't born on the 25th of uh, December. A lot of people know that already. He wasn't born on January 6th. Most likely... He was actually born during the festival of Sukkot, the festival of the tabernacles, which takes us actually to the scripture in John 1, 1, when it says, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That term word became flesh and dwelt among us actually means tabernacled with us. Okay, a lot of us know that the church was born on Pentecost 33 CE. The Jews were celebrating the festival of Pentecost, not knowing that it was symbolic of the festival, the, the, the birth of the church. So they were celebrating a festival based on Jewish history, but they were also celebrating a festival commemorating a spiritual truth that had not yet been revealed and didn't get revealed until Pentecost 33 CE. OK, so that's why it would be beneficial to have the Hebrew calendar. Nobody's trying to turn you into a Messianic Jew. OK, <laughs> we are we are trying to educate you, though, on the realities associated with the wisdom that's being released from the word, which would encourage you to know some things about Judaism. So I think we've covered a lot of the base points there. Um, I want to open it up and just sort of release it to, to Ernest for a moment. Um, and I just wanted, to, and we don't rehearse this, so, you know, he's getting caught a little bit off guard. Um, if you want, if Ernest, why don't you in your, you know, share some of your highlights from our first session covering Genesis 1, 
two, and three? Um, I think uh, one was uh, breaking down what it actually meant when they ate the fruit. Not only, um, not only were they in disobedience, but what it did to us. We always say that separated us from God, but the actual indwelling of the Holy Spirit was then you, they were separated from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, that was not the original intent that God had for us on this earth. So it goes to show that he had had to actually uh, come up, make, make new plans to redeem us. And it shows in the first three chapters of the Bible, really, the redemption, the savior, everything is is crunched right there into that. Um, a lot of people don't get to that until they get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the fact that Christ, the plan for Christ to come down and redeem us was um, was that early in the Bible um, just uh, just shows us just how sovereign God is. Um, Breaking down the scripture also of uh, Cain and Abel, and you see the offspring of Cain uh, going out and committing murder. Also, Cain, the offspring of Cain, he's the first one in the in the Bible to have two wives at the same time. Because people always say, well, you can have multiple wives, you can have multiple wives. So um, that was another thing, uh, looking at the the uh, what happens when sin creeps up in us and how sin gives birth to sin um debunking the myth of well because they ate the fruit they were naked which i guess somewhere i don't know maybe in a bible study uh that i got confused about that because you're right they were always naked they just weren't shameful so um i'm, I'm trying to think uh i think those were the those were the biggest those were the biggest highlights oh and that we have not entered into uh God's rest, God's seventh day of rest. Man got stuck somewhere in the sixth day, and we're still—he's <laughs> still trying to get us to that seventh day. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think those are the biggest highlights. Yes, God, and I, amen. And I believe you did give really good broad strokes over the course of the class. And so, for those of you who have your Bibles and you want to follow along in your Word, that's fine. Open up your Bibles to. Genesis chapter one, and most of us are familiar with these scriptures, so I'm going to just let it flow. So in Genesis chapter one, it talks about the creation. It's interesting to note that in the word Hebrew, in the Hebrew word, in the beginning actually is Bereshit, and Bereshit means in the beginning. How we got Genesis is the Greek Septuagint uses the word Genesis, which means origins. So Genesis in, in the Greek really is the book of origins, but in Hebrew, it's better sheet in the beginning and it says in the beginning god okay but what's very interesting is that in rabbinical Talmud culture and in the belief of the rabbis and in the talmud it was believed that actually this was a powerful word that was spoken okay so a lot of us struggle with the nature of christ the holy spirit and the father but once you understand the origin, remember the five books of Moses written, the five books of Moses was written by Moses for the Jews, that the prevailing thought process was really more to the effect of 
and the word of God said. <laughs> now, that's interesting. We don't say, and the word of apostle said. We said, apostle said. But they understood that to mean, and the word of God said. We now, as disciples of Christ, know, well, the word of God is Christ. And Christ, even though he wasn't Christ then, because, right, Christ means Messiah. And in Genesis 1, we didn't need a Messiah. We didn't need a Messiah until Genesis 3. Messiah means deliverer, and we didn't need deliverance until we fell from grace. So Christ had a name before he was Christ, okay? He had a name before he had the name Yeshua. He had a glory before he had the glory as a Christian. Take a note of Genesis chapter 17. I always like to give you proof text. Whenever possible, I'll give you proof text for something that's not immediately in the text that we're reading. If you read Genesis chapter 17, Christ prays to be returned to the glory he had before time began. Okay, he's asking to be returned to his previous position because he came to earth in a messianic authority. Amen. So we know that Christ is the word that became flesh, John 1, 1. And it starts Genesis in the beginning. Okay, God created. And then John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was a God. Now, we understand that in poetic prose as Gentile Christians, but understand that the people he was talking to, the Jews understood this concept as well because they interpreted that in the beginning God created as the word of God created. They didn't assign it an independent personage. They didn't assign it a independent being, but there was something mystical about the transmission of the word of God. It didn't seem to be talking about his imminent presence. It seemed to be talking about some aspect of his Shekinah. So the concept of Christ's deity was already in the atmosphere, just wasn't defined. We now, as disciples of Christ, now with the power of the Holy Spirit and through the revelation of John 1, 1, see the word as Christ himself. Okay, so Christ, in a very powerful sense, was and is the absolute prophet of the father. The son speaks it. The father is the one that willed it. And the spirit is the one that manifests it. So if you were to and, and take a note of this. There is something called the, the Targum, T-A-R-G-U-M, the Aramaic Targum. The Ar A A A when, when they started writing, rewriting the Hebrew scriptures in Aramaic, there was concerns about the literal uses of words and that those literal uses would somehow diminish the eternal, uh, uncontainable, infinite nature of God. So they paraphrased. They didn't translate. Translate means to take a word and translate it into the word of another language. They paraphrased. They took the meaning of the word and then they tried to paraphrase it. In the Aramaic Targum, it actually literally reads, in the beginning, the word of God said, <laughs> which is actually not in the original Hebrew text, but the Aramaic uh, rewrites of the Hebrew try to bring that wisdom to pass. Now, this is going to become very important because now when you get to John 1, 1, and you say, in the beginning was the word, and the word became, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. The significance of the forementioned is fine. That word becoming flesh, that 
had heretical undertones in the minds of the Jews. Because what do you mean God became flesh? The infinite divine God could never be contained in flesh. What you're saying is sacrilege. And this is why they wanted to run Jesus off a cliff. This is why they want to try to stone him to death. And this is why they were ripping their clothes open when he made these comments. Because to them, it was uh, it, they didn't see the Messiah as someone that had existed before time. They saw the Messiah as another man born in the likeness of Moses. Okay, so there was a point where Moses actually told them, another prophet is coming like myself. And upon him, you must obey all of his instruction. Anyone who doesn't listen to him will be completely cut off from the people. So they were expecting a second Messiah, but they were not expecting a divine Messiah. See, these are part of the reasons why we're going to study Messianic Judaism, because you, when, when someone is talking to someone, you need to understand the mindset of the audience to understand completely what the person is saying. For instance, if you came from a foreign country and English was your second language and, I, and, and we were having a conversation and somebody said something that was unbelievably obvious and I went, hello, You'd understand it and I'd understand it, but the person studying English as a second language with no relationship to anybody in the, 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 the culture that we live in would not understand why I use the word hello, because the technical definition of the word hello would not line up with how I used it and they'd be confused. Why are you saying hello? You've been talking to this person for a while and now you're saying hello? It's not an appropriate response. And then someone would laugh and goes, no, what he means is that's right. Like that's like should be overwhelmingly obvious. So it's important to understand Messianic Judaism, I'm going to hit you with this. It's important to even understand the parts of Messianic, the parts of Judaism that were folklore. Because if it was commonly accepted as folklore, and then Jesus refers to it and uses it in an analogy, it's important for you to understand the folklore they believed in order for you to completely comprehend what Jesus was saying to them. So in Genesis 1-1 and John 1-1, you could always see the instant tension that would be created through Jesus, Yeshua, trying to profess himself to be a Messiah above the context of Moses. So... We know that in the first five days, God creates the heavens and the earth, yes? And then it says on the sixth day, God created man. Now listen to the plurality. Everything else is the word of God, the word of God, the word of God, or God said, God said, God said. And then when it comes to man, it says, let us. So now it sounds like a conversation is going on, and it sounds like mankind is representing some sort of plurality. So I contest to you in the spirit realm that if man, the plurality that man was representing was the plurality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So some aspect of creation of mankind appeared in the likeness of both the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We're going to hold that place for a second, and then we're going to press on. In chapter 2 of Genesis, now it also says, by the way, at the end of chapter 1, he says that on the seventh day, God rests. But if you reread the book of Hebrews, you'll find that we never actually entered the rest. It says there is yet a day of rest for which the children of God are to enter. So it's, and this, by the way, agrees with 
Talmud belief. For those of you who don't know, Talmud's like a commentary. So for those of you who've done any biblical study in Christianity, mostly most of us are Gentile Christians, you'll heard of the Matthew Henry commentary. It's like a 21 volume commentary. The Talmud is like a, a Jewish commentary, a compilation of the greatest teachings of the rabbis. Okay, so in the Talmud, the fundamental belief is also that man sinned inside the sixth day and somehow never entered into God's rest. Sort of prophetically, God was on this pathway and then he rested. Remember, God is not limited by time and space. But us in linear time failed before we enter the rest. So God had to then reach back into us and create a methodology by which we could enter the rest. For he said, in the day in which you eat this fruit, you shall surely die. Now, I'm going to illuminate some parts about Genesis chapter 2, which will have a big impact on your understanding of Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 2, it talks about Adam naming the animals. Does anybody know of which prophetic school Adam went to so he could learn how to name animals? Of course, I'm joking. We know he didn't go to prophetic school to learn how to name animals. It says he was put to sleep and out of him was taken a rib and a woman was created from the rib. And Adam then spoke to the woman a prophecy. So where did he get the name woman? How did he know she was a woman? He was sleeping. Where is all this wisdom coming from? Wisdom to name animals. By the way, which botany school did he go to? Because he was supposed to tend to a garden. <laughs> okay, where did all these abilities came from? These abilities that we today struggle so hard to get. How many of us have ever been to prophet school, evangelism school, theological school, Bible school? Here's Adam. He's a natural. So I contend to you in the spirit that the reality is, is that Adam was clothed in the Holy Spirit. That rather unassumingly, God's presence was with him. And this is why he was naked and without sin, because he was covered and clothed in the Holy Spirit. So he had with him the wisdom of God. If you study Talmud philosophy as well, it's also another point about wisdom. They believe wisdom is talked about in a form or a fashion as if wisdom was a person. They didn't give him, they didn't give wisdom the 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 personage separate from god but the way wisdom was referenced was like it was a person um i'd like to liken it like the difference between me giving you a piece of information which is a form of wisdom and me, me giving you an artificial intelligence program if i give you a piece of wisdom it's yours you go away with it it's an isolated piece of wisdom and whatever you draw from it would be your wisdom if I give you an artificial intelligence program, then it almost functions like the person of wisdom. In Hebraic, in, 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 in the Judaic thought, wisdom also, just like the word, seemed to have some sort of personification of God's Shekinah. It was an ongoing edifier. It wasn't just a piece of information. It wasn't an abstraction. I contend to you that wisdom represents the Holy Spirit, that the manifestation of the word is manifested by wisdom, which is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work of the will of the Father, and all will is revealed by the prophet, which is Christ revealing it to man. So we see the frameworks of what otherwise happened in Nicaea, which is the Trinity doctrine. Notice how I'm being very long-worded about it, because I'm not trying to get you bound 
in a doctrine. I'm trying to get you into a supernatural understanding. It's important to note, this is a side point. The Trinity doctrine was not created to define definitively the full nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was created to refute heretical movements that were trying to encourage that Christ was not a man, 100%, or that he did not come as a man. And these heresies were, st were staring up, so they decided to create a doctrine that they hoped would thwart heresy. But how many of us know that the minute that a finite being tries to finitely define an infinite being, something's going to get lost to the translation. So we, exactly. we don't slam the Trinity as saying, oh, it's not true or it is true. What we say is that when the Jews so thought of wisdom, they didn't think of it as an abstract piece of knowledge. They saw it as a projection of God's Shekinah. When they talked about the word, they didn't see the word as an abstract uh, context. They saw it as a manifestation of God's Shekinah. So there was already this revelation that God was one with his word and God was one with his wisdom, though the wisdom seemed to be distinguishable and the word seemed to be distinguishable. We now see it as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And now man represents all mankind. Because in our language, we use the word man to refer to, refer to the male. But mankind refers to the male and the female. And somehow mankind represents the father's different manifestations. Son, spirit, almighty God, almighty father. This is all important as we go forth. Also, notice Eve was not created from the dirt of the ground. It is generally presumed that all glory, all righteousness, all truth, all wisdom, all completeness was placed into Adam. Yet fellowship did not exist. Something is not right in the imagery. God said, let us make man in our image, but man is singular. <laughs> so there's an absence of plurality. The plurality gets created with woman. So in fact, woman apart from man does not complete the image. Man apart from woman does not complete the image. So now that we've covered a lot of the points that covered Genesis 1 and 2, now we can enter Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve be, fall from grace. Now, do we know that the serpent approaches Adam and the serpent says, excuse me, approaches Eve and challenges the righteousness of her not being able to eat the fruit? And he says that when she eats the fruit, she will become like God, knowing good and evil. If we accept that the spirit of God covered man rather unassumingly and overshadowed him and mentored him as a covering rather unassumedly, then everything the man saw through his eye gate, everything the man heard through his ear gate, everything the man thought in his mind was under the supervision of the Holy Spirit. Though man had a sovereignty, in a real sense, he never used it outside of the covering of the Holy Spirit. He never used his sovereignty completely independently. I'm going to stop there for a second because you got to take a second to think about that. 
If Adam and Eve were covered in the Holy Spirit and completely guided by divine wisdom through their senses and their consciousness, then they never operated completely independently. And this is what Satan is talking about. You don't operate, you have a sovereignty, but you've never used your sovereignty independently. In this way, you are not like God. And if you want to be like God, you then have to fundamentally divorce yourself from the Holy Spirit so that you could then operate with an independent consciousness and then you would know how to function apart from God. Wow. Powerful. So Eve eats, the fruit. <laughs> Eve eats the fruit and she falls from grace. Of course, after Adam ate it because he was the head and they fell from grace and it says they were naked and their eyes were open. And so we're talking about natural eyes, the removing of the covering of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the prophetic wisdom. If you haven't seen it already, how many times does the Bible refer to the Holy Spirit as clothing? As a white robe. It says that in the end times that there'd be a great crowd of witnesses covered in white. <laughs> Do we really believe there's angels up there sewing white linen robes preparing us for the day? God's just going to start handing out some white robes. So we got to start thinking about that prophetically. It's the robe we lost in the garden. How do you remember the, the, the cry um, out by the devil concerning Joshua as he appeared before the Lord and so Satan also appeared and he was in a dirty robe. His robe had been tarnished. He said, take that dirty robe off of him and put a white robe on it. And then an angel cries out, put a turban around his head. Now, do we really believe that he showed up with a dirty robe and God pulled out a clean robe and put it on him and Satan was upset because God gave, nah, right? And do you really think they went and got a linen turban and wrapped it around his head? The, the turban represented the crown of the Shekinah and the white robe represented the cleansing of their soul by a covering of the Holy Spirit. And Satan is in an uproar. He's like, he does not deserve this the great accuser, okay? And he's, and then he says, may the Lord rebuke you, Satan, for is he not a stick snatched out of the fire? So between Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, we just opened up a whole segment of understanding prophetic typology. God, listen, understand a day is with God like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. As far as God is concerned, we're still in the first two weeks of this. <laughs> We may see it as thousands and thousands of years, but to God, listen, y'all messed up on day six. I've been working on y'all for the whole week. <laughs> I'm quick to pull you back. You, God is not slow concerning his promise, right? This is what Peter said. Those are crying out, ah, things are continuing like they were from the beginning. Says, God is not slow about his promise. For a day is with God like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. So you can see prophecies opening up to you because what God is trying to do is not advance us to the future. He's trying to take us back to the beginning. We fell from grace. We started a life outside of God and God is pulling us back to alignment to enter us into the seventh day, which he pronounced at the end of Genesis chapter one. Now, 
they fall from grace and they feel they feel shame and fear. There is an internal testimony within your mortal bodies that something is not completely correct. We know this because even later in John, Christ says the, the spirit of God will come to convict the world of sin, judgment and righteousness. I'll drop a little pearl for you about evangelical wisdom. A lot of us think we convert people. We don't convert anybody. If we're wise operating under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it says God sets the time and the place in which we should live so we might seek him. We need to walk in ordered steps of alignment. The Holy Spirit has been working in this soul's life, their entire life, to convict them of sin, judgment, and righteousness. If you're operating under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then you are a vessel of the Holy Spirit to illuminate a reality that they've already received the divine providence about. A lot of evangelism is tricks and trinkets. and tr this, this was uh, global evangelism, Western European style where we convert the king and the king forces everybody else to convert, <laughs> okay? We, we, we convert the tribal leader and the tribal leader insists that everybody else converts. If you study history of the church, you'll find we changed methodology of evangelism. But in truth, evangelism is a manifestation of a work of the spirit and all you are is an illuminating force within that manifestation. No one can see God unless, no one can see Christ unless the father reveals him. This is a revelational encounter of the supernatural power of God. So that's a side point to benefit from. But in the fall, man develops these eyes. And he knows through these eyes there's a problem. He didn't become naked in the natural. He was already naked in the natural. He became naked in the spiritual. So he was conscious of his loss of spiritual eyesight. And it instituted shame and it instituted fear. So these are powerful pieces. And then this takes us down to Genesis chapter three, verse 15. Um, does, does anybody want to read that? Uh, who's on the line, Ernest or, or the pastors in Philly? If you, anybody want to read Genesis three fifteen? Yeah, I could read it. Amen. <clears throat> this look familiar. <laughs> um, Okay. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Amen. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply no, your pain no, in childbearing. No, no, we can stop there. We can stop there. That's good. That's good. We want to, we want to talk about that prophecy right there. That that prophecy in that prophecy he's talking to satan right when he says i will put enmity between you and the woman so the woman he's referring to is not mary it's the nation of israel now when you replace understand prophetic typology prophetic typology is when god uses a word that he knows we have an understanding of and he uses it in a spiritual context Christ said to them, if I tell you about earthly things and you cannot comprehend it, how can I tell you about heavenly things? Because what was what God was doing is using, remember, we were savants. We had instinctual knowledge. Then we lost all knowledge. Now God has this issue. I've got to now re-educate you about a supernatural reality 
that you can't easily comprehend because you bound in the flesh. So I'm going to use natural things to give you a supernatural understanding. So what he said was, I'm going to have a woman give birth to a child. This woman is a prophetic typology. This woman is a nation of Israel. Now, when you pick up your Bible and you read the prophet screaming at Israel and says, God offers you a certificate of divorce because you're a wayward woman, it makes sense. Otherwise, how does that make sense? Since when did God marry the nation of Israel? And I thought he was the creator and the father, not the husband. How did he become a husband? But he was referring back to Genesis 3.15, this woman. Who would give birth to a son? We know the son to be Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And the son would crush the head of the serpent, Satan, and the serpent would bruise the son's heel. That's the cross. The entire rest of the Bible is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. Everything that takes place after that is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. So the calling of Noah, God is angry with the earth, wants to destroy all mankind, but for the sake of the promise, Noah was declared righteous in his time. He calls Abraham, I need to start to build the seed to become this woman. I need to select up the tribes of men, a man. Select from the tribes of men, a man, who I could then use to create this prophetic woman. When you read the book of Revelations, there's a lot of talk about the woman. And there's also talk about a wicked woman, okay, a witch, actually, okay? These references are not referencing ind an individual. They're representing a prophetic reality, okay? So now we have Adam and Eve falling from grace, and we have God prophesying a deliverance, okay? And from the rest of Genesis through Revelations is the fulfillment of that deliverance. So we take Genesis 1, 2, and 3 together because there's so much information there. I'm going to stop here because wisdom is abounding in God. And I just want to open it up if any, if, if the pastors or Ernest would like to elaborate on any one of those points. Um, no, just one, one quick thing earlier. I know you said, uh, I think you said Genesis chapter 17, but it was actually, I think it's John 17 where, where the Lord, uh, where Jesus asked to be restored, um, as he once was before. Um, just wanted to clear that up. Yes. Yes, that's correct. It's John chapter 17 in the prayer. He prays, he's praised for three groups of people. He prays for himself. He prays for the apostles and he prays for the listeners to the apostles. This is what Paul meant when he said, I'm an expert builder and I build a foundation, but no one can build on the foundation except the foundation already laid. Careful how you build for if you build on what hay and stubble, it will get burned down. This is what he was talking about. The apostles of the first century were responsible for laying the foundation upon the earth. They laid the foundation. We built on it. The foundation doesn't change. So Christ came to raise up the apostles so that the apostles could then raise up the people. John 17 shows you a lineage of authority, 
which we'll cover in church history, because at some point in church history, the church leaped off of that authority and created some other church fathers and created some other quote unquote fatherly apostles who redirected the foundational building. But we get ahead of ourselves with that one. That's that's part of the church history piece. But Amen. Pastor, anything on your heart, revelatory, anything you want to share? Um, I just want to say, Apostle Kevin, um, I need to call you about four days a week. Praise the Lord. And all glory to God. All glory to God. It was it's a hard, hard spent. I had a very hard head, and God had been knocking on my head for a long time. I could introduce you to a few people that could tell you about how many times he had to knock me upside my head. But um, so we give all glory to God. But yes, these revelations are shaking, right? They're shaking. Because when we say, God, order our steps, what do we really mean? Because mm. if we were never meant to have an independent sovereignty, then by the very nature of things, the presence of the sinful nature is simply a desire to operate outside of the Holy Spirit. If we simplify the sinful, see, we look at it from a standpoint of sins or an action. They're a violation of the commandment. But the commandments were created to expose the sinful nature. See, now the understanding of the Romans is so much in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The understanding of Romans changes drastically. When Paul starts talking about it and he says, well, is the law bad? No, without the law, I wouldn't know what wrong was. He's trying to explain that the issue is not the missing the mark or the action of sin. The issue is in a relational context. You used to be adequate fellowship for God. Now you want to operate independent of God. It's not that God has abandoned you. It's that by your nature, you desire to abandon him. One of my biggest struggles when God gave me this revelation was simply this. Why give me an independent sovereignty if you never intended for me to use it? But now I sound like I'm arguing Satan's argument. But God was exposing, exposing to me, I didn't create you to act independent to me. I created you for adequate fellowship and as a representation of me. You are a work of art, a beautiful tapestry upon which even my angelic creation could see. For who is man that God is mindful of him and the son of man that God cares for him? So then now when we flip this from religion and rules to relationship, I'm the bad guy. I'm the one that doesn't want a fellowship with dad at times because I want to do me. I'm the one that wants to break covenant with the father. I'll be back. You know, I'll be back in the morning because <laughs> it's nighttime and nighttime is my time. It's the right time. Right. But dad, I'll be back. I'll be back in the morning. You see, and so you got to get caught up in your hidden rebellions. Now there's hidden rebellions. Imagine the sanctification impact when you realize that perfect holiness is divine covering of God. And some people may challenge it. I've had a lot of ministers challenge it. But when Jesus said, I don't do, I do nothing apart from what my father does. He shows you and he's calling us to be one with him. So for us to be one with him, we too would have to have the desire to do nothing apart from what our father does. So that downtime is that excuse time to be out of line with family. 
I think what's beautiful, what's beautiful about what you said in reference to like the whole story of this, um, this, this having our own um, sovereignty or, or will separate from God's will. Um, and it was like, I think what, when God gave me truly the revelation of that, when he, when he began in that first, you know, um, play on, I looked at everything and saw that it was good and very good. And God never used the word perfect. He never used the word that even before we were, um, we were separated from him, that we were perfect because he knew by giving us free will, by giving us the ability to have our own desires and our own will, like himself, creating him, creating us in the nature of God, God having the nature of free will, God being the being free will and pouring free will out into his um his his descendants not only his heavenly um descendants which were the angelic beings in the in the sons of god but also his um his humanity and so everything that was created from free will which was god had free will so we had our own will separate from him the beauty of what you said is that in the garden before the de before our desire was tempted or tested, we were in full relationship with God, not desiring to flex our own free will, not desiring Amen. to step outside in our own free will. Our will was aligned with the will of God. And the minute that the enemy told us that it was something wrong in our desire, something wrong in our will, saying that you are not like God after God had already said that we would be like God, like we were like God, let us make man in our image being like God, right? And so we were already like God, but the enemy had to say to us, well, maybe you're not quite like God. He made us desire a power that we did not have the ability to control outside of relationship with God. And so once he did that, we walked outside of relationship with God like you said, not religion. We walked outside of relationship with God, desiring our own will, which would be evil at all times and, and stepping outside of that full relationship in the will of God. And I love what you said in reference to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how they all work um, fully doing the will of the other. The Holy Spirit did not come to do his will, but the will of the Son and the will of the Father. The will of the Son, the Son did not come to do his will, but the will of the Father. The Father completing his will through the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so there is a con constant connection of, of will being completed as they, as they complete each other in full relationship, knowing that all wills are done in relationship of the others being done making the divine will complete. And I just think that that's something that you really pointed out in the beginning that our sovereignty, and if people don't understand sovereignty, is basically God God is sovereign in his ability to judge rightly and to be sovereign God. Everything comes from, comes from him, comes from um, a God that is justified, that judges rightly. Um, his, his, his hatred, his wrath, his love, all of his governance comes from his sovereignty. But we have a will, um, and that's kind of like our sovereignty. The difference is because of God, the same way in which God, we, we, we do not sovereign justly. We are unsovereign in our, in our actions. And Amen. so we have a will, but we don't have a sovereign will in, in our ability to judge rightly. And that was showed itself when Eve decided to eat of the fruit. Um, realizing that her desire would always be outside of the desire of God for her life.
Praise God. That's very powerful. And the and what makes that powerful, in a, in addition to whatever you've expressed, is that this may also explain why, because God is absolutely just, right? But He's also absolutely loving. In His justice, He loved us through this. But Satan, He condemned, because He opened up a deception that Eve in her naivete wouldn't be able to escape. So even though he executed the justice associated with the covenant, a lot of people don't realize that Adam and Eve are also under a covenantal relationship. Okay, be fruitful and subdue the earth and, 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 and dwell and take dominion over it, but don't eat up this tree. So there's a promise, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a condition, okay? There's a consequence, it's a covenant. When we talk about, when we teach covenant theology, most people start with the patriarchal covenant, which is the problem. The first covenant was the Adamic covenant, okay? And Satan doesn't escape the judgment, but we get recovenanted. And so he becomes the great accuser, accusing God of falsehood by putting us in this covenant, which also now explains the book of Job the cosmic battle between Satan and God over the righteousness of the redemption of man. So kind of just falls out of the sky and people tend to overlook that scripture except to pull little snippets out to use at their appropriate time. But it actually has a complete pace in God's judicial decision to save man because Satan opened up, as you said, Satan opened up a condition of which Eve could not escape. For Eve was deceived as the word of God makes it clear. And Satan was a higher level being deceiving the woman was inappropriate. And so though he his justice demanded an account, his love demanded a redemption. And it's very powerful when we understand those things, because a lot of that gets lost in greasy grace, <laughs> which we cover as we go on. We're going to talk about how greasy grace is really the plot of the enemy towards destruction instead of redemption, because God is not about co-opting with sin. He's about redeeming us from it through the divine nature of his spirit. So you put some very powerful pieces in there. Oh my, Pastor AK, Pastor AK, you got an awesome woman of God there by your side. Yeah, yeah she lucky you had me too, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am, baby. Yes, I am. <laughs> And I want to just share with everybody here that um, um, it is a beautiful thing when you see the husband and wife functioning in ministry so powerfully, because that's what God had intended for the man and the woman to work in community in the spirit. I think a lot of people misinterpret that scripture when Paul was instructing them that when you get married, your interests would be divided. He was talking to a specific church for a specific reason. They were young, immature disciples, and they were growing in their understanding of seeking first the kingdom. And so it just so happened that within the context of their culture, the woman, the women in that culture would be overwhelmingly concerned with the family structure and their desires in their sanctification process. And then these young disciples wanting to race in the kingdom would then get frustrated marrying a woman that wasn't going to run with them in the kingdom. And so he made this 
theory inside the church that a husband getting married somehow debilitated you in ministry. So I'm glad to see the Aquila and Priscilla at work <laughs> in, in, in the house of God. Amen. So, Amen. Um, and I just want to just say to you, say some of you I know have been called to this through, by my wife as well. The reason why my wife is not on this is because we're having some technology problems. We're using high speed Internet. We're using the same Internet. And it appears that when she tries to get on and I try to get on, it becomes conflictual. As you notice, since she stopped trying to get on, my Internet has not been failing me. So there is a correlation there in addition to this cheap sound card I got, but that's another story. Um, but praise right, so God. Jennifer is about that kingdom life. So don't y'all sleep on Jennifer. <laughs> Jennifer about that kingdom life. I mean, I see the face, but she about that life. All right. Let's just go put it out there. <laughs> that's, it, that's it. That's it. You are very similar in the spirit. And so what we've covered so far could hold you. I'm not trying to say it could hold you forever. But there's a lot to chew on there, just in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, once your mind and your spirit is oriented right. But let's press on since the coveraging area is supposed to go past that all the way to chapter 6. And so um, if we look at, um, ah, I'm in the wrong book. I have in front of me, by the way, a Jewish commentary. I refer to certain aspects of the Jewish commentary um, to, to enlighten people about uh, Messianic Judaism. And, and I have my footnotes on the side. Okay. So after the fall of man, children are had. And the first two children are Cain and Abel. Now, does anybody know... And I'm saying this, of course, rhetorically to some extent, because we only have us here on the live line, but there are some people also on the uh, the Facebook live. Understand, if you comment on Facebook, we will see it. So you can participate. Does anybody know what was Cain's first sin? We know he was a murderer, but what was his first sin? My understanding of Cain's first sin was Cain putting the blame of his sin back on God. It was him um, basically asking God when God approached him um, after he murdered him, after he, you know, he God came to him and he specifically asked him where his brother was, giving him the ability to come clean giving him the ability not to lie, giving them the ability. It was, it was that in that moment, Cain could have said, listen, I was mad. I was angry. I was upset. I was mad um, at the fact, you know, I, and I also think we, we can go back to the, the sacrifice, the laziness in his sacrifice, knowing that during that time, God would have required him to give a certain type of sacrifice. And he would have known that through the sacrifice of his parents. Um, because sometimes people say, well, how would he have known that his, his sacrifice wasn't good enough? It was already known that, you know, um, sacrifices required blood. So whether he was a man that was in the field or a man that was, you know, killing animals, we know that the sacrifice of sin required a blood sacrifice. And even in that, he didn't give his best. He gave the, 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 the worst. He gave, you know, the least of, he was lazy. But I also think it was really, um, I really feel like the first, Sin. Maybe that was the first sin, so maybe I should stop there because that was. Wait, 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 wait! Stop right there because you just did. It. You just did it. So you you yeah. went around, but you got there. 
Yeah, I was like, oh, maybe that was the person. In the mind of God, what we know about God, what type of, whether a blood, I mean, we cannot argue that sin cannot be atoned for without spilling the blood. So we cannot argue any of those points. But on principle, what type of fruits are we supposed to give God? The first, the best of them. The first. And it says he gave some fruits. So even if God didn't demand the animal sacrifice, his his offering would have been also unacceptable because he didn't seem to give God the first fruits. When you fail to give God the first fruits, that is a manifestation of selfishness. Cain's fundamental sin was his self-concern over concern for God, over concern for righteousness, which then gave birth to a whole plethora of sins. Yeah, come on. Mm -hmm. First, you didn't give God's first fruits, so now mm -hmm. you're not getting blessed. So now yep. you're jealous of your brother yep. and you're throwing at God yep. and now you want to murder your brother. Yep. And then mm -hmm. you can't even accept your judgment. You crying and complaining. And mm -hmm. But it all started from your selfishness and everything else after that was also selfish first i'm not giving you first because i'm keeping those selfish yep then i see yep. you bless my brother but you ain't blessed me selfish Come on. then i kill my brother because i'm jealous i'm jealous of him i won't yep. feel good with his blessing so i'm gonna kill him Okay. Then you come and question me and I talk to you disrespectfully because yeah. I'm concerned more about my image than I'm concerned mm -hmm. yours. Selfish. Then after you punish me, instead of me accepting my punishment, I'm crying out that my punishment is too harsh. Come on, come on. His primary fundamental problem was selfishness. Now, yeah. this is the thing that's got to shake us. In how many situations in our life do we fail to give God first fruits when called mm. by the Holy Spirit? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. God wakes you up at three o'clock in the morning and you get up kind of groggy and you turn on the TV. God's like, turn on the TV. I woke you up to pray. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to mm -hmm. do that in a moment. Yeah. Or you got some other thought in your head and the Lord's like, I need you to come to the word. But instead of coming to the word, I got to take care of these two, three things that's bothering me first. Come on. See, the aspect of the sinful nature is consistent. When Christ said, you, you say, if in the days of old, we wouldn't have killed the prophets, and you build tombs to the prophets and say, if we had lived in this time, we would not have committed those sins. Selfish. So Christ says, you testify against yourself that you are children of the ones that killed the prophets because you think just like them, even though you say you wouldn't have done what they did. Mm -hmm. See, a lot of wisdom comes out of watching early fall before we complicated the fall. Because now the sinful nature has gotten very complicated. We have ways of sidestepping stuff. Yeah. And then the next one is his son. So look at generational curses now. Lamech. Two wives. Mm -hmm. Right? Somebody attacked him. He had a fight, killed the person. Father was a murderer. Son became a murderer. Mm -hmm. Father just profane, disrespected God. He disrespected God. He goes, ha, 
If God, if Cain will be a revenge seven times, Lamech will be revenge seven times, 77 times. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And then isn't that interesting that Christ does a flip on Lamech's statement when asked, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? He says, no, seven times, 77 times. Christ takes a flip on the murderous nature of Lamech and brings it to grace. You see a lot of that. And this is why understanding Messianic Judaism is so powerful. Because when you understand Messianic Judaism, you start to see these parallels. And this is why Christ said, anyone with knowledge of the old and knowledge of the new is like one who brings out treasures, both old and new. You start to see the harmonious single-mindedness and the single-minded nature of God. Mm-hmm. And so then things start to fall into place. Confirmations and edifications start giving us deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper understanding. Praise the Lord. So that covers the segment for the session. It's We covered Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter uh, 6, verse 8. Um, for those of you who may have come on late, we are asking you if you're going to participate with this program, which runs on Wednesday nights at 9 via Zoom, and it will also come on Be Live at 1, going live on Facebook at 1.15 on Sundays. Both sessions will be the same session for the week. My wife just put in the chat the scriptures for the following week for next Wednesday and Sunday. Um, We're asking that you get this book, Training for Service, a student workbook. This will teach covenant theology. We're also asking that you get Through the Bible in One Year by Dr. Alan B. Stringfellow. Okay, this book as well. The ISBN numbers are also in the chat. This is a recorded segment. It will also be going on our YouTube channel. Once we edit any portions that might need to be edited, I might have to throw in some commentary pieces for the podcast because they can't see the chat and all the things that we did on the visual. So I might narrate portions of the podcast so that the people listening on audio can get everything that's needed. Praise God. So I'd like to thank the pastors for joining us. And of course, now... Now, we want you here every Sunday. So you guys show up. Any Sunday you show up, you're going on. Be live. You guys are anointed, powerful men and women of God. I've witnessed so much in the body of Christ, ministerial divisions, like everybody's got their own ministry. The reality is there's really only one ministry. There's one Jesus, one baptism, one Christ, one Holy Spirit, and one salvation which saves us all. We've got to find those places where God calls us into temporary and long-term covenant relationships. There was a Paul Silas. There was a Paul Barnabas. Okay. There was a season with Paul and Timothy. There was a season with Paul and Titus. Then there was a period where Titus was apart from Paul and had to operate in a region. We need to relook at these first century movements and learn from them. You guys have been a great blessing. The next session again is Wednesday at 9 p.m. Anybody watching this or the recording can put a comment on the ways to contact you through your inbox and I'll inbox you ways of of joining us. I'm going to ask in closing for today, if the pastors could once again announce their ministry, how to get in contact with it, share your name, your Facebook or whatever else is your contact methods, and then also take us to the throne. All right. Um, 
once again, we would like to thank you, Apostle. We would love to yes. thank your wife, Jennifer. We yes. just, um, we weren't expecting, um, but of course, we're never expecting the Holy Spirit to move in the way in which he moves through right. through his children. And so we just want to thank you all. We want to thank this house, the um, first century uh Christ Church Ministries, um, because God is doing a mighty move in you all and your humbleness in, in delivering a word that is obtainable and that is um, free is is definitely shows the spirit of God on your lives that you are not after just somebody's finances and pockets and, and trying to strain people dry to get some understanding and some wisdom. And so that's a blessing. And we ask that God just continues to cover you in that. You can follow us at the church philly everywhere the church philly Philly on instagram facebook youtube we do have a youtube all right um (laughs) and (laughs) and our website we kept it simple you know the lord was like when we asked the lord what our name was going to be and we were thinking of all these grand names and we was like yeah god it's gonna be this it's gonna be this it's gonna be this and we're gonna have a crest and all of this and then we sat down and the lord was like name it the church philly and we were like I was, I was like, oh, that makes sense. That's that's very, yeah, that's very simple. I mean, that was, <laughs> that's, yeah, you know, that was, that, yeah, would have thought of that. That's simple there. It would make sense. That's where we are. We're the church of Philly. And, you know, I think it's a blessing also to show um, God's, uh, God's beauty and his sovereignty, because a lot of the times when you read in the book of Acts and all those other beautiful books in the New Testament, when they addressed it, addressed the churches, they didn't really address them by, places but i mean not by places but by names specific to the household but um the majority were addressed by where they were located you had some churches that were addressed by household but the majority was addressed by location and that's to go to show the unity like the apostle said of the churches and the unity that we need to have um as a body of christ amen um, i really want you to add this to it um for those that will be watching who's watching now Everything that the Lord is doing through this brother, this apostle right now is amazing and um, it's very informative. But the Lord also wants you to also focus on your relationship with him because mm-hmm. everything ties in together. But the most important thing is your personal relationship with the Lord. The Lord just wants that to be said and known right now. Continue to focus on your relationship with you and the Lord and just just also just focus on that. That's all as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Praise God. I received that prophetic word. I received that prophetic word. That is a now prophetic word. That mm-hmm. has been, and I try to be as transparent as possible. Uh, that has been the struggle of the ministry. We race mm-hmm. ahead. And then as we race ahead, the relationship kind of wanes. Then yeah. things start getting rickety. Then you got to yeah. back up. Then you got to reestablish. And so mm-hmm. that's a very now word because this is lifting off. And, yeah. and um, that prophetic word was the now word. Before you mm-hmm. close in prayer, it's been burned on my heart this truth. We have not allowed Ernest. Ernest has been a very instrumental part in the movement. Of the- Ernest. He's a quiet giant behind mm-hmm. the scene. We also can be a powerful movement in front of the scene, too. Yeah. So I just want to open up for Ernest to speak before the pastor's closing prayer. You're mute. You're mute. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry about that. Um, I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you, pastors, for coming on. This was a, a great surprise to me. Um, and thank you, Apostle. Uh, got a lot of stuff to chew on. Um, a wise man once told me in, in reference to uh, what Pastor AK said, you never know how far you strayed from God until you actually have to come back to him. 
So I'll, I'll end it with that. And um, I look forward to, to Wednesday's teaching. Praise God. Praise God. Pastors, take us home. Ernest made me proud. That's oh, we are not. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, that's the mom and me. Uh, <laughs> all right, going in the Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to thank you for laughter, Lord, in the midst of the teachings, Lord. God. Yes, Lord Jesus. But Lord, just most importantly, God, and just the Lord, we just want to thank you for just who you are, Father God. Thank yes, you, Father Lord God, Jesus. for what you are doing. Thank you, Father God, for the teachings that you are now putting into play, Father yes, God. Yes, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we just honor you for just what went down today, Father God. We I pray see. for each individual that logged on, Lord God. We pray for just their minds, Lord God, that not only will they receive the true and right teachings of your yes, word, Father Jesus. God, but also, Lord God, that they continue to focus on relationship with you, Lord God. Yes, Lord, Lord. we pray and ask that you watch over each and every individual because the enemy is mad and he will try to disrupt and try to just confuse them, Lord God. So right now we rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus mm -hmm. before he even does his attacks. Lord, we just want to just lift up our voices, honoring you and only you, Father God. In Jesus' name, we pray and praise. Amen. 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 Lord God, you're bringing me back to, um, I just Amen. want to say something. It's not even a prayer. Um, the Lord uh, brought me back to the scripture. Um, my cup runneth over. Um, in the presence of my enemies, my cup runneth over. And Apostle, as you continue to pour in the presence of your enemies, know that your cup running over is not for just for those who give you praise and give you honor and glorify the God and the light that is in you um, and glorify Jesus Christ moving through your life. It is really for those enemies that the water is going to touch as it runs over the table. And the Lord is saying, I'm saving those who have cursed you. I'm saving those who have talked bad about you. I'm saving those who have separated themselves from you. And he says, even in you, I'm creating in you a new heart. He says, I'm blessing that old one and I'm creating in you a new one. So he's saying there are areas in your life that he is still pulling off a fence. He is still pulling off hurt. And he's saying in this season, I'm giving you a new heart. That heart of stone will become a heart of flesh. In the areas that have become stone, God is saying, I'm coming in with a hammer and I'm breaking it in your life and I'm breaking it in your wife's life and your, your ministry will flourish because of the new heart that I give you. He's saying steadfast in me, stay fast in my love, continue to cover your family and every part, every piece, everything that you've given to me in secret and in prayer, he says, I am honoring it. He says, I'm coming in with a bulldozer and he says, I'm knocking down the walls. He says, a new thing I will do in you. Do not despise the cup running over in the presence of your enemy. Do not despise the teachings that they will take from you and you. The Lord is saying this for the glory of my kingdom. He says this for the saving of souls. Even if they don't give you credit, it is to glorify me. He says, I will cover you in white. I will cover you in the blood and you will shine like new. Do not look for the glory. Do not look for the acknowledgement because I will acknowledge you in the kingdom. He says, your name is known in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah, Lord God. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Thank Amen. You. Praise God. Praise God. Saints, and we reconvene on Wednesday. Praise Thank God. You. Uh, you can see the power of God moving here, and it's all free. Praise God. So don't think there's anything behind it. It's all free. We do it for his glory. Thank, Thank you all, and we look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. Blessings. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. We hope you enjoyed the lesson that you were listening to. There are 52 lessons in this Institute program. Each lesson is designed to go through one section of the Bible straight through from Genesis to Revelations. No matter which section you listen to, there's another section after it. And if you've, getting, if you've reached the 52nd session, then of course you wouldn't be hearing this message. You'd be hearing a different one. So we hope you continue on in your education in the Word, and we hope that you listen on to the rest of the lessons. Have a blessed day. Okay, what you just heard was the conclusion of lesson one. And what you also heard on there was uh, Pastor C. She's from the Church of Philadelphia, she mentioned, and Pastor AK, also from a Church of Philadelphia. They've been participating in the school since its inception. And basically, we identified their anointing very early on in the program. And instead of allowing them to just sit as a student in a classroom, like as if they had no anointing, we very quickly uh, empowered them to participate with us in a sort of moderating capacity as we continue to push forth the program. And that's what would happen. If you came aboard and you had a prophetic anointing, we'd utilize it within the context of the school. And if you had a pastoral anointing or a teaching anointing or an evangelical anointing, we would utilize that also within the context of the school. It would really be beneficial to you if you checked out the orientation program, which would explain to you exactly how the school works, because it doesn't really work like a traditional school, but it actually works much more the way Christ worked with his first century disciples. It's an awesome experience. So again, you can go to my page. That's uh, facebook.com slash apostle. There you'll see some links. I strongly recommend that you look at the orientation. Uh, that was the end of lesson one. Lesson two is another episode that will appear. We've been taking some time to load the episodes up. So if you don't see it right away, check back maybe in a few days, you'll see it up there. Uh, we look forward to connecting with you and God, and we trust that the Lord is blessing you fervently. Have a blessed day.